1: This is the John Oakley show podcast on a great day for talk radio. So much to talk about mana from heaven. I call it. And of course uh, we don't have to talk about the snow and uh, any weather warning or anything like that. So that's a blessing as well. Uh, That yoke has been lifted from uh, off my shoulders. However, uh, you know, we're going to talk to Andrew Shearer after 5 o'clock, and uh, he's pressing for a case of, well, the Prime Minister to resign, but criminality to be investigated as well. Let's find out if there's any merit to that. Is that a dog that'll hunt? Joseph Newberger is joined us on the line. Global News Radio's law expert from Newberger and Partners. Joe, how are you doing this afternoon?
0: I'm very good, John. How are you?
1: Good, thanks. So how about it? I mean, uh, in the case of what the testimony of Jody Wilson-Raybould revealed, uh, do you think it meets the standard for obstruction of justice?
0: I do. You know, there's one comment in particular, and, and let's let's be clear, we have to see the text messages and the notes to ensure that what is being stated by the former Justice Minister is indeed accurate, and I've had my concerns about how she dealt with legislation in the past, so she's, I'm no fan of hers either. Let me be clear about that. But there's one particular comment um, about Mr. Butts, and at a meeting, Allegedly, Mr. Butts told her, Jess, there is no solution here that doesn't involve some interference.
1: Yeah, that was her, uh, by the way, that was her chief of staff, Jessica Prince.
0: Yes, and so this is a meeting which is meant to then be communicated to uh, the attorney general, and it clearly states involving some interference. And so when you look at the fact that they wanted a deferred Uh, agreement, prosecution agreement, and uh, that this was disturbingly a political move as well, because it's not just simply about jobs, which I had hoped that it was about. It's about winning an election. This has overstepped inquiring, asking, sourcing out what the issues may be and how this will impact Canada at large. This is now pretty close to a direction. There is no other solution other than some interference. And to me, that is a direct attempt to influence an officer, of the, uh, an officer of the court, somebody who's involved with the ministry, to try and direct a prosecution in a particular way. It clearly fits within the definition of section 139 of the criminal code. And there are other offenses as well, because you can't, you can't intentionally intimidate or interfere with the work of a government official either. So this is not good.
1: Well, but can they prove it? I mean, it's unless it's documented in writing somewhere along the line, it becomes a case of, well, do they call that hearsay or one person's interpretation? Look, when you've got Bill Morneau trying to say that, well, we were contextualizing the seriousness of the ramifications of any decision, just wanted to put that into perspective or context. So he stands by it, he says, Nothing from our party that uh, was inappropriate.
0: Look, I, there are gray areas here. I get that. But if she has text messages, and that's why I said we have to see the text messages and the contemporaneous notes that she made so that we are able to verify the information that she has provided to the comms committee uh, to, to see that this is really quite genuine. But if, if we take it at its highest, that she did receive this type of pressure that there was in essence uh, a direction that a deferred prosecution agreement should be made then that is an obstruction and the way you prove it is she can testify she can give a statement she can testify she can produce her notes and produce the text messages just like any other criminal case in canada many cases are won on the basis of purely testimony of a witness without any demonstrative evidence to support it. In this case, it looks like there's text messages and she's made notes contemporaneous with many of these communications and meetings. I'm not saying she's accurate because we all have to see this information, but it is quite compelling at this stage, given her testimony and her opening statement to the comments.
1: Again, with Joseph Neuberger, Global News Radio's law expert. You know, the other thing, of course, is that uh, if I understand the law that was brought in by Stephen Harper correctly, uh, it means even if... There are economic consequences. That's verboten to bring that into a prosecutorial process here when it comes down to bribery of foreign officials and so on. You can't cite the economic consequences as a reason to try to mitigate uh, the impact of the law. That can't be brought in. And by everybody's admission from the prime minister on down, they were trying to persuade her that jobs were at stake.
0: Yes, you're absolutely right. And I'm going to I'm going to say this. So yes, that was uh, you know the conservatives were hot on that topic, and the idea is not to treat any different any defendant different than any other defendant because of economic issues. So whether you're poor or rich or a successful company and you employ thirteen thousand people versus two people, you should not be treated differently under the law. I get that. I can say this, however, if the prime minister and finance minister were deeply concerned about the loss of jobs and its economic impact on Canada, I can be a little bit more forgiving for them maybe being inappropriate and really trying to find some sort of alternative solution that protects the Canadian economy and Canadian workers. I could live with that. But as I see the material come out and listen to the testimony that she gave, that's not really what we're talking about in and of itself. Quebec-based company, Montreal head office, no matter how good our policies are, we won't win an election if this happens. So there is, as I said, a disturbingly political element to this that goes beyond merely caring about jobs in Canada. That is what takes it to another level for me because this should not be, I want to get reelected, we got to get reelected. If you are truly concerned about Canadian jobs and the impact on the economy, I can understand that. I cannot understand the self-interest which we have seen in other governments where you are perverse in the way you manage the either the the purse for us or you manage criminal justice issues not good so that's where i'm drawing a line here and i and i think this has this, this testimony is extremely damaging and the narrative which has come out from the the liberals through uh, the prime minister and other individuals is completely disjointed and not coherent
1: you know, in in simpler terms, they're bastardizing the rule of law, and uh, it's quite stark, as Jody Wilson-Raybould pointed out yesterday. But I wanted to talk and pivot to uh, what might be a distraction, and this might be part of the master plan. I, I don't know. I'm starting to think in a paranoid way or very conspiratorial, but uh, <laughs> the public safety minister, Ralph Goodale is planning to introduce legislation tomorrow that will uh, expedite pardons for Canadians convicted of pot possession. Right. Now... They're saying anywhere from 250 to 500,000 Canadians languish under uh, such a sort of yoke. But here's the deal. Uh, is this any different from expungement? What is the distinction between a pardon and expungement? And uh, what would actually make it easier for people to cross the border into the USA?
0: Look, that's an excellent question. You know, the, the Conservatives amended the parole uh, and, and then the, the act so that, you know, you weren't getting a pardon. It changed the language to a record suspension. I don't even understand what that means. And now I think what would be helpful is that there should be some clarity as to what a pardon is. But the United States may not care about a pardon. They you know, they can actually get access to it, and they can still bar entry. So what would be the best thing for Canadians who are convicted of simple possession of pot, stupidly, uh, should be an expungement. In other words, just erase it. There's no need for a pardon. Just get rid of it. Delete it. Mm-hmm. You have been, ex- it's expunged. You were you inappropriately convicted of this offense, and we are expunging it. And that's what should happen. Now, the terminology that we have under the present act may limit. There should be a new act uh, introduced to try and deal with this so that we have the power to expunge just like they do in the United States. And we don't have that here. And the liberals, just here's another thing, if they really want to pivot, they promised when they'd come in that they would take a look at the amendments to the pardons act that they would take a look at it and see about the timelines and what a record suspension means. And we've seen nothing in that regard, just like they said they were going to look at mandatory minimums. They did nothing about it. The courts did it. So this is a pivot. It's an important thing to do for people who've been convicted of pot, uh, you know, minor pot, uh, possessions. I think it's very important, but this should be at deleted ab initio gone. There's no pardon, there's no suspension, it's just gone.
1: Got to ask you last question here rather quickly. Uh, interesting ruling that came down from the divisional court today. Uh, uh, this was the uh, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association that were suing the government of Doug Ford because they changed the curriculum, the sex ed curriculum, to the 2010 model. They say infringing on teachers' freedom of expression and putting students at risk by failing to be inclusive. Well, they lost that case. Divisional court says uh, nothing in the 2010 curriculum prohibits a teacher from teaching any of the topics in question, which include consent, use of proper names to describe body parts, gender identity, sexual orientation, so on and so forth. And the court went on to say some of the public statements made, okay, were ill-considered because, I mean, teachers alleged they were threatened if they didn't adhere to, you know, the older curriculum. And uh, so they were upset, feeling they were threatened. But the court said, well, uh, these statements might have been ill-considered, but it did not constitute an infringement of the Charter. Finally, we note that it is the role of legislators as elected officials, not the court, to enact legislation and make policy decisions. Courts should not interfere with the exercise of a discretion by a statutory authority. Your thoughts?
0: I agree. Yeah, that's why we elect governments, <laughs> Right. Uh, and they're going to, you know, 52% of the population may say, here's what we want. We want to make sure that, uh, you know, books that start with uh, the letter A are the ones that get taught to children. Well, if that's, what's, that's what democracy is all about. And so that's why we leave it to the legislature and to the government, which is in power. And the truth here is teachers can still teach. There's nothing preventing them in any class to talk about consent and diversity and understanding transgender issues and everything else there's nothing preventing them from do that and if they really are under threat it will go nowhere because if any teacher is sanctioned for that that's a human rights violation And it's inappropriate.
1: And that's what the judge, that's what they pointed out in the divisional court. Nobody's actually been disciplined for this. So uh, what are you doing, creating an issue where none is existing? But the interesting thing is, I guess the takeaway for me is, this was not an activist court. An activist court might have ruled otherwise. It was refreshing to see this uh, ruling and the explanation for it. As are all your explanations too, Joe. Really appreciate your weighing in as always, and we'll talk again real soon.
0: John, my pleasure. Have a great show as usual.
1: Thank you. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's law expert with Newberger and Partners. Oakley Show continues. Andrew Sheer after the news at the top of the hour here at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and anywhere else you get your on demand audio.